morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Friday, May the 20th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The largest aid convoy to reach Ethiopia's conflict-ridden Tigray region since the declaration of the truth in March arrived this week. We hope at the end of this month, because the momentum is really picking up now, we hope to be able to dump 30,000 metric tons of food and food commodities into Tigray in two weeks' time. Rwanda says that its borders with neighboring Burundi may soon be reopened. Uh, Rwandans and Burundians are brothers and they almost speak the same language. Burundi and Kinyarwanda. And business-wise, we need one another. And Kenya's electoral body has accepted over 7,000 political aspirants to run for various seats. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. And for our top story, the largest aid convoy to reach Ethiopia's conflict-ridden Tigray region since the declaration of a truth in March arrived this week. While the effort marked progress for aid organizations scrambling to respond to the region's humanitarian crisis, resources are spread thin as neighboring regions also require aid due to the conflict and severe drought. Linda Giftash reports from Semera in Ethiopia. 15,000 tons of food and other life-saving supplies have made it to Ethiopia's Tigray region as of this week, and more is on the way, according to the UN World Food Programme. Although critical supplies were still getting in via air, the region was cut off by road from humanitarian assistance for more than three months because of the war between Ethiopia's federal government and the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front. The conflict has left 4.8 million people facing hunger, the UN says. Adrian van der Knop is the World Food Programme's Ethiopia Deputy Director. We hope at the end of this month, because the momentum is really picking up now, we hope to be able to dump 30,000 metric tons of food and food commodities into Tigray in two weeks' time. Our plan is, by the end of June, to have 100,000 tons of food. The humanitarian corridor between the capital of the Afar region, Samara, and Tigray's capital of Mekele was established at the beginning of April. It's currently the only road open to Tigray. Many of Afar's central and northern towns were attacked by the TPLF, say the people displaced by the conflict. The attacks have displaced more than half of the region's two million people. The TPLF said in an April statement that its presence in Afar was meant to neutralize security threats. In January, it said Afar forces had also launched incursions into Tigray and were blocking humanitarian aid from entering the region. Afar's head of disaster prevention, Mohammed Hussein, says Afar holds no ill will toward Tigrayan civilians. This is a very unique humanity because of they are sending troops to kill us here, but we are sending for them to eat there. The war already launched by the TBLF uh, and the TDF, and the invasion is happened by this uh, agent, but we are not a critical problem with the Tigrayan. The current cooperation has been critical to addressing rising malnutrition in Tigray, where more than 80% of households faced food insecurity last December. The TPLF said in February that without access to treatment, 23,000 children with severe malnutrition were at risk of death. 
But government agencies and aid organizations say they are being stretched thin, juggling crises in neighboring regions, including AFAR. Syed Mohammed is the AFAR field office manager for Save the Children. There is a double burden for on the community. The first one is the current conflict, which uh, disrupted or which distracted many water facilities as well as uh, other basic facilities. On top of this, uh, drought is also another challenge even for uh, AFAR. For the last many years, AFAR is within the drought, uh, we can say. So the drought is also another challenge uh, even uh, for uh, the community. Other crises globally, such as the war in Ukraine, are stretching donor resources. The WFP's Vander Knopp says it's facing a $522 million shortfall for its supplies in Ethiopia in the next six months, $220 million of which affects the northern regions, including Tigray. But we are running out of resources very fast, so our nightmare is that we have created that positive environment. We're using those corridors that are open, but we have to stop. So everything goes back to where it was uh, before April. Aid workers say they are not slowing down. An even larger convoy than the one that arrived Monday is already on the road to Tigray, the WFP said, with many more reaching other communities in the country to curtail the growing hunger. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Samara, Ethiopia. The Rwandan government announced this week that its borders with neighboring Burundi may soon be reopened. This was announced after several months of discussions and the exchange of envoys. The borders of the two neighbors were closed in 2015 after a failed coup to oust former Burundian president Pierre Nkurunziza, an act he said was orchestrated with the help of Kigali. Eugène Ouimana has more on this story. The Rwandan Prime Minister, Edward Ngirente, announced in a news conference Wednesday the possibility of reopening Rwanda-Burundi borders. He says they have been holding discussions with the government of Burundi and they think things are going in a good direction. Their invoice went to Burundi and Tigar received Burundi's. He added borders shall be reopened soon and both peoples resume their business and brotherly engagements. For citizens, this is not just about international relations. It is a lifesaver for their businesses that were hurted by tensions in bilateral relations. Felix Mukasa sells fruits in the Nyagogo market. He says his business was severely damaged by the border closing. That's because much of the produce he sells, especially mangoes, used to come from Burundi. He says he used to purchase fresh and sweet fruits from Burundi and sell them here in Chigari. It was a booming business, but ever since the crisis started, his business life has never been the same. He says he now purchases at high cost and his income is very low. When he heard that borders may be reopened, he said his heart was relieved. For political experts, this is a major development and they say credit goes to the new president, Evaristo Daishimie, for acting quickly. Patrick Mnez works with Universite Libre de Chigali. Uh, in international relations, there are no enemies forever. It all depends uh, on interest. And uh, I believe the new president of Burundi understands the importance of normalizing relations with Rwanda. Uh, Rwandans and Burundians are brothers, and they almost speak the same language, Kirundi and Kinyarwanda are two languages that are almost the same. And business-wise, we need one another. Rwandans and Burundians uh, need one another. And uh, I see these relations are going to 
uh, to, to be normalized, and uh, things are going to get better than it, it was in the, like in the previous years. For several months, political dialogue between Rwanda and Burundi has been happening on different levels. For Moneza, however, there's still one thorn that still needs to be removed. The only issue that is blocking this deal, in my view, it is that the government of Burundi is setting uh, like difficult requirements. It is saying that, I mean, it is requesting Rwanda to, uh, to forcefully repatriate Burundians who tried to carry out a coup d'etat against the other former uh, president, Pierre Nkurunziza. This is difficult. It is really difficult because uh, when Rwanda agrees to do this, it would imply that it had them long before. Burundi closed its borders in 2015, accusing the Rwanda government of supporting dissidents who wanted to topple former President Pierre Nkurunziza. Rwanda has always denied the allegations. The deterioration in the bilateral tensions have caused a dramatic decrease in inter-trade revenues from 20 million US dollars in 2015 to 0.1 million US dollars in 2021, according to the Rwanda National Institute of Statistics. But authorities in both countries hope all of that is now in the past. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Chigali. Kenya's electoral body has accepted over 7,000 political aspirants to run for various seats. The presidential competition has 46 presidential candidates so far, 38 of whom are independent and not aligned with any party. This is the highest number of independent candidates ever witnessed in the country, which analysts say is due to a lack of transparency in political parties. Moreno Jambo has more. Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission gazetted more than 5,000 independent candidates. Some are among 38 candidates running for president. The Registrar of Political Parties in Kenya says this is the highest number ever recorded to contest Kenya's top seat. Political analyst Martin Andati attributes the record number to a lack of democracy in the country's main political parties. He says there were allegations of party favoring specific candidates. So instead of giving people an opportunity to participate in primaries, uh, in, like in Luonyanza, where ODM is a dominant party, 80% of the sitting MPs were given direct tickets. And uh, our history is such that 80% of the incumbents, both MPs, governors, senators, and women, lose elections. And, uh, and the result is you have now so many of those people who feel cheated, they have moved out and uh, they are going to seek uh, the mandate of the people. The independent aspirants include 38 presidential candidates, 74 governors, 748 members of parliament, 108 senators, 95 women representatives and 4,738 men and women competing for county assemblies. The challenge of having many independent candidates is that in case they win elections, the sitting president may find it difficult to command both the National Assembly and the Senate due to lack of numbers from his or her own party. And that he says, parties ignored their own primaries, which many members were not satisfied with, and that may cost them. Some members would rather be named by party leaders to parliament and bypass primaries. He says, having many presidential candidates, including so many independents, especially in tight race, may have an impact on elections. 
And don't be surprised to find us having a parliament where you have uh, between 60 and 90 members of parliament having been elected as independents. So that will be a very strong statement to the parties that they must be able to either style up or they, they cease to exist. In a tight election, even if one takes away just 500 votes or 1,000 votes, then that will run into thousands of votes and they will have an impact. So I know the, both formations will try to reach out to all those independents to see if they can be able to come on board or support their side because uh, they will have a big implication in terms of uh, the numbers. In total, Kenya will have 46 presidential candidates, among them Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto of the United Democratic Alliance and the Orange Democratic Movement leader, former Prime Minister Elodinga, who is vying for presidency for the fifth time. Kenya's Registry of Political Parties and Deritu says Kenya should be ready to embrace defeat. One significant point that you have seen during these party nominations and going forward is also to ask Kenyans to develop a culture of acceptance of results. Uh, because in any one point, it's only one person who can occupy a particular seat. The electoral body in the Gazette notice says candidates have submitted their symbols for ease of identification by voters on polling day. The candidates must also submit the required documents by Monday, May 23rd, ahead of the clearance process, which will take place between May 29th and June 6th. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California. The Abuja Federal High Court this week refused the bail application filed by the lawyers of the Nigerian separatist leader Namdi Kanu. The separatist is facing trial for treasonable felony, among other charges. And Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. There was heavy security at the Federal High Court in Abuja as the trial resumed for Namdi Kanu, a leader present for the recreation of Biafra, a state that pushed but failed to achieve independence during a civil war in the 1960s. Journalists were allowed access to the courtroom after proper identification. During the hearing, presiding judge Binta Nyako refused a bail application filed by the separatist legal team, citing his failure to appear in court after he was granted bail in 2017. But the separatist said that's because he fled his home after an attack that year by unknown forces, though his supporters speculate the were from the government. Five people died in the assault. Kanu was first arrested in 2015 and had been charged with treason for shortwave broadcasts from Radio Biafra, located in the UK, into southeastern Nigeria, calling for the region to break away. He was also charged with advocating public violence and with attempting to destabilize Nigeria's fundamental political and economic structures. After the attack on his home, Kanu failed to show up for a subsequent court date that year because he had fled the country and was living in exile. He was recaptured last year. This week, presiding Judge Nyako said the court must deliberate on the reasons he avoided bail five years ago before he can apply again. Ifanye for one of the lawyers representing Kanu, spoke to VOA after the hearing. The application contained clear evidence of what transpired, account of what happened on September 14, 2017, in Nandikano's house. An account was given directly by his mind and the kind of in affidavits he sworn before when he was in Israel. 
This is a direct account of the person who witnessed the murderous bloody invasion of his premises on 14th of September 2017. Nyako also declined authorities' proposed amendment to Kanu's seven-count charge, including a new document that named two of his lawyers as the separatist contact people while he was in exile. Nyako blamed the government's counsel for filing the amendment just hours ahead of Wednesday's hearing. But the Kanu's legal team say Nigerian authorities are trying to delay the trial by continuing to amend the charges, citing that it was the seventh time authorities have done so. The person is a contact person, so nothing more. So that shouldn't be a problem. What has happened, please? As soon as the vision survives, then that means that unless you call there, you walk, you walk out of the court a free person. So, and probably it will go to the root of the charge before the court. It was also after the charge, too. Namdi Kanu is leading an outlawed secessionist group, the indigenous people of Biafra, or IPOB, that wants Nigeria's southeastern region to break away from the rest of the country. An attempt to separate in 1967 led to a civil war that killed more than one million people, mostly Biafrans. Kanu was recaptured in Kenya in June last year and repatriated to Nigeria to face trial. Kanu was previously released on bail on health grounds. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. The Basketball Africa League finals kick off in Kigali, Rwanda this weekend. Eight teams will take part in the playoffs of the league from May 22nd to 28th at the Kigali Arena. Four teams each qualified for the playoffs from the Sahara and Nile conferences of the league played in Senegal and Egypt. Our sports reporter Sonny Yang is in Kigali, Rwanda, and he spoke with my colleague Kate Pound Dawson to give us a preview of the matchups and how we will be covering the playoffs and the finals. Hey, Sonny, so there you are in Kigali. What's it looking like there as you get ready for the BAL playoffs and finals? Sporty greetings, Kate, and to all our Voice of America listeners. Lots of excitement here in Kigali, Kate. Uh, just a little background. I'm traveling with my VOA colleague, Eddie Rama. Uh Eddie will be uh, doing play-by-play of some of the BAL playoff games in Kenya, Rwanda. And uh, Eddie has already been a big help uh, for me in terms of uh, getting the lay of the land. But, uh, yeah, as I speak to you now, Kate, uh, kind of a cloudy day here in Kigali, but uh, nice, cool temperatures. Uh, I've been out and about uh, with Eddie uh, driving around Rwanda's capital city. We also went to the Kigali Arena, which uh, will be the venue for the Basketball Africa League playoffs this weekend. Uh, just some uh, more background for our VOA listeners. Uh, the arena seats about uh, 10,000 fans. And uh, I spoke with one BAL official earlier Thursday, and uh, he says maybe the biggest crowds will be when Rwanda Energy Group is on the court. Uh, Rwanda Energy Group, or REG, uh, is basically the home team for these BAL playoffs. And they begin their playoff campaign on Saturday against FAP of Cameroon. The way these playoffs are set up, it's win or go home, single elimination. So uh, if Rwanda Energy Group 
loses that game on Saturday, uh, they will be officially out of the tournament. And, uh, Kate, why don't I run down the quarterfinal matchups uh, real fast? Real quick. That's uh, a good idea. Let's, let's let everybody know what's coming up. A.S. Saleh of Morocco will play the opening game against Petro de Luanda at the Kigali Arena. That will be followed by the FAP Rwanda Energy Group matchup. And then on Sunday, two more games. The Cape Town Tigers from South Africa will play U.S. Monastir, a finalist uh, in the Men's Basketball Africa League in 2021. And in the last quarterfinal matchup, Zamalek from Egypt, the defending Basketball Africa League champion, will take on Slack from Guinea. You're going to be doing your podcast, and what else are we going to have to offer listeners and basketball fans around the world? Well, English radio on The Voice of America will be uh, broadcasting uh, almost all the games. Uh, I think we're doing three of the four opening games this weekend here in Kigali. Uh, I'll be doing a pregame show about 30 minutes in length, and I'll also be joined uh, more than likely by Eddie Rama for halftime uh, commentary as well as post-game reports. Uh, I encourage our VOA listeners to follow the action on voaafrica.com. Voaafrica.com uh, is the website to find updates on the Men's Basketball Africa League. Okay, well, it looks like you're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of great ball games to, to be watching and, and telling us about. I'll be talking to you throughout the next week. Uh, I look forward to it, Kate. That was VOS Sunny Young speaking to Kate Pound-Dawson. You can also follow the action on Sunny's Twitter and Facebook pages. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. With that, we go to Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the CAF Confederations Cup final, where Morocco's RS Bakani and South Africa's Orlando Pirates will meet to decide the champions of Africa's second-tier club competition on Friday night at the Gosulapabio Stadium in Uyo, Nigeria. Bakani, coached by celebrated Congolese tactician Flora Imbenge, are playing in their third Confederations Cup final. They lost the finale in the 2018-2019 season season when they were beaten 5-3 on penalties by Zamalek after a 1-1 aggregate draw. On the other hand, Orlando Pirates are appearing in their third Confederations Cup final and they are playing the final for the second time and first since 2015 when they lost 2-1 on aggregate to Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. Pirates goalkeeper Richard Ofori says finishing as runners-up in this season's CAF Confederations Cup will not be good enough for the club. No one remembers Members um, finalist. Whether you you make it to the final, no one remember. The only thing people remember is to the people that they they, they made history, which is they win the trophy. So we know, we we all know about that, and then uh, as players we always talk about it. Gabon captain and Barcelona striker Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has retired from international football a fortnight before the 2023 African Cup of Nations qualifying campaign begins. The 32-year-old made a total of 72 appearances for the Panthers and scored 30 goals, making him the nation's all-time leading scorer. The Gabon Football Federation said it had received 
received a letter from Aubameyang announcing his decision. And to another African player who was in the news this week, the French Football Federation have written to Paris Saint-Germain midfielder and Senegalese international Idrissa Gueye to clarify his reported refusal to wear a shirt with his number in rainbow colors. It was reported by French media earlier this week that Gueye, a devout Muslim, missed his side's 4-0 win against Montpellier on Saturday because he didn't want to wear the special shirt. In an expression of solidarity to mark the International Day against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia on Tuesday, May 17th, England's Premier League Crystal Palace manager Patrick Vieira during a press conference this week said that the issue should be handled carefully without speculations. People are assuming. So before we get into conclusion, we have to be sure about what we are talking about before creating something really negative around. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington wishing you